Tag Box Talk, and this is Horse Stories with a Purpose. Who are we? We are equine educators, but we are owners. We are judges. We are competitors. We are coaches. We are volunteers. We are moms. We are horse owners just like you, and we want to share our horse stories with a purpose. to Extension Horse's Tack Box Talk Series, Horse Stories with a Purpose. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Heine with Oklahoma State University, and our guest today is a first-timer for the program, Dr. Sandra Tenebrook from University of Florida. So welcome, Sandra. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to talk to you today. So as a first-timer, you got to give us a little bit of background. So what, uh, what do you do at Florida? I'm an Extension State Horse Specialist. I've been at Florida since October of 1985, long time. 85? 85, That's impressive. Yeah, so I'm in the uh, short rows now of my career. Um, my time there has been spent predominantly doing youth work and Extension, the latter half of my career with horses specifically, and I also teach in the undergraduate program. So you're pretty busy trying to balance all that together, right? Yeah, it's, uh, my life is interruptible, I like to say. <laughs> That's good. All right, so our topic today is actually going to be talking about strategic deworming in horses. So strategic doesn't just mean... Opposed to routine. Yeah. So in the old days, right? Not that long ago in the old days, um, we always just used to tell people to deworm their horses every two months because we really wanted to make sure they never had any worms. That's not what we're telling people to do today. So tell us what, in your definition, strategically deworming a horse means. Okay, happy to do that. So the, just even the way we landed on every two months was based on the life cycle um, from egg to uh, adult that is capable of laying eggs. So um, they call it the pre-patent period, from the time the egg is laid until an adult is able to reproduce. So the the parasite, the internal parasites, that is the most persistent problem in horses is small strongyles. Um, and small strongyles have a 60-day pre-patent period. So that's where we really came up with the two every two months routine deworming. Um, and I would say way back in, um, in 95, um, when we taught equine health management, we were talking then, and all the parasitologists were talking then about strategic deworming. That is, know what your problem is and deworm only when you have a problem. And um, the reason is concern over parasites developing resistance to the chemical classes that we have. Ivermectin, or the avermectin class of compounds came onto the market, and it was a great boon for horse owners because it was available in paste form, so we no longer had the stomach tube horses. Um, the pasty wormers are easy to um, give your horses, and um, large strongyles essentially went away. So that was one of the great things because large strongyles have a migratory phase of their life cycle where they do damage, and we had a lot of horses that colicked because of migrating large strongyles. Well, the avermectin compounds would kill the, the migrating large strongyles, so they are essentially gone, thank goodness. Small strongyles persist because they can insist in the lining of the gut wall, and, and no chemical class gets 100% of the insisted small strongyles. So when the conditions are right, they burst out, and even though the horse was clear of parasites, in theory, they have another parasite load because they were hiding or hibernating. 
So strategic deworming looks at the life cycle, yes, but also when is the potential to reinfest? And the idea of strategic deworming is to try to maintain a parasite population that has never been exposed to chemicals. We call that population of parasites that have never been exposed to chemicals, refugia, R-E-F-U-G-I-A. So parasitologists promote maintaining some refugia, which means you don't deworm every horse on a regular schedule. You deworm when you have a problem. And the way we know we have a problem is we collect fecal samples and we analyze the fecal samples for eggs per gram. And dog owners are very familiar with that. Cat owners, you go to the vet, they take a fecal sample and they look at the eggs. Well, now that has been become more commonplace with horse owners so that we only deworm when the egg counts are high, when the horses are shedding. But let's be honest, if you have to pay for uh, a fecal exam on your horse, it is 10, 20 times more expensive than it is just to go get the tube of dewormer. So how am I going to make that sell to anybody that they should pay 20 times as much and then find out they may still have to deworm the horse? Sure. Well, I would say that is exactly what veterinarians told horse owners in the 90s when the parasitologists were screaming, strategic, strategic, we're going to run out of chemicals. But over time, we've realized we have fewer and fewer chemical classes available, that there is parasite resistance to pretty much every chemical class we have, and there are no new anthelmintics or chemicals to kill parasites coming on the market that we know of. None are being developed. So the knowledge that we could lose the ability completely of being able to deworm our horses should be a driver to tell us, yes, doing EPGs may cost you 20 bucks and a dewormer only costs you five to eight dollars depending on which one you choose. But at some point, if we run out of dewormers that work, it's worth taking the time and money. So isn't that a little bit, of, and you know, I, I, I'll be honest, I advise people do that same thing, but when you're fighting the, well, this is convenient for me versus doing strategic deworming and, and trying to prevent parasite resistance is more of a, it's a more of an industry-wide problem. And it, for an individual owner that doesn't see the effect on themselves, right? So often we tend to look at how does life affect me? My farm, yeah. <laughs> so why on earth should I care about somebody in a different state or down the road? Well, you don't really have to care about somebody. It's the parasites on your farm that your horses are suffering. And you might develop a population of resistant parasites in your horse on your farm. And, that, and those similar species of parasites might not be resistant on another farm. So let's say... We'll just use small strongyles for an example. These, the population of small strongyles on your farm might become resistant to ivermectin, whereas the small strongyle population on another farm might not. So you're not, we're not really worried about you fixing the world's problems. We're worried about you and your horses and the parasite population that are affecting your horses on your farm. So isn't that why a lot of owners will say, okay, I'm, I'm aware of resistance issues, and so I'll just do my part, and I will rotate dewormers, and therefore I won't have an issue? Well, the rotation is getting harder because there's very few. We really have two classes of compounds that are still effective, and um, the only broad spectrum that gets everything 
well, there's nothing that gets everything. The Avermectin class gets pretty much everything except for um, tapeworms. And so we use Crazy Quantel for tapeworms. Um, that's what the Zemectrin Gold and some of those others that have, it's, a, it's you get Gold the, or plus. Yeah, yeah, or plus, they have the, the Crazy Quantel. But tapeworms are not usually a huge issue. The big issue for horse owners is small strongyles. And then the Parental family still has some pretty good effectiveness, Parental Tartrate and Parental Pamoate, although there's quite a bit of resistance to Pamoate as well. So the parental tartrate still works. And if you triple dose it, you can kill tapeworms with that as well. But the benzamidazole class, um, there's been huge resistance for years to the benzamidazole class. And so there is one exception to that when you use the power pack where you give a dose for five days in a row. It's very expensive, but that is one way to still use that class of compounds. And the only way, honestly, to know whether or not your dewormer is working, which most horse owners are not going to like to hear this, is you have to have two fecal exams done, right? So we have to have a before and after to know if it actually works. Sure. Well, and there's been a lot of research done. So this is a place where you can go to your state specialist and say, what's been done in my state? So, for instance, in the state of Florida, we took fecal egg counts every two weeks on a group of ponies that were never dewormed for 12 months. And we looked at, we tracked egg shedding throughout the year. And we learned that egg shedding was the highest in the month of April and in the month of September. Uh, In the summertime, fecal egg counts dropped even below February because the infective stage of small strongyles is a third stage larvae. So they have to ingest, a horse has to ingest a third stage larvae to get infected. And by doing that, um, because of that, in Florida, at least, those our summers are so hot, those larvae desiccate on the pasture. So we've learned through the research that we don't need to deworm at all in the summertime in the state of Florida because the horses are not going to reinfest at a high enough level that it's a problem. Fall and spring, the grass is short. Horses are still grazing. The grass is short. The temperatures are moderate. Egg shedding is really high. So fall and spring, big time reinfestation time for the horses. In the winter, they're eating hay. There's no grass. So how do they infect? By eating grass. They're not going to get parasites from hay. So you're looking at getting rid of the parasites and not allowing them to reinfest with the larvae. And so deworming strategically in the state of Florida, we recommend deworming everybody in the spring and everybody in the fall. And because bots in our state or a problem in September, we make sure that we use a compound that gets bots as well, which the avermectin class does do that. So that's why knowing what the egg shedding is throughout the year and when your horse is most likely to be reinfested. Grazing, moderate temperatures, not too hot, not too cold. The larvae can survive on pasture and the horses will take them in when they're grazing. So if somebody has a horse that lives in a stall in a dry lot, why should they ever deworm their horse? They probably don't have a problem. And the only way they know they have a problem is they do a fecal egg count. The exception to that might be pinworms because pinworm eggs can be on fences and posts and the horse can lick it and they can get the pinworms. But they have a five to six month life cycle. So once or twice a year for pinworms is okay. So depending on your situation, then if you are grazing horses, you have to be a little bit more concerned than our horses that 
seldom see the light of day. That's right. So if you... If you or with the help of your county agent or your state specialist can, if one of the three of you knows what is your parasite problem, where do you live, what is the opportunity for your horse to consume the egg or the larvae, which is the infective stage, and then the other concern is young horses versus mature horses. Young horses, you do need to be more regular as opposed to strategic with young horses because if you have ascrids on your property, those have migratory phases and you really want to stay after that. So if you have young horses up to the age of two or three, you want to be more aggressive in your deworming program because of those particular parasites. Adult horses become immune to them, but young horses are not. And because of their migratory phase through the lungs, you really don't want even microscopic damage to a horse's lungs because you want them to be an athlete later in life. So we're much more aggressive and much more regular for young horses, but older horses, depending on your management situation, do you pick up the manure from your pasture and compost it? You know, your reinfestation may be zero. And, and then a last thing is, uh, researchers at the University of Georgia, parasitologists there, have learned that if you look at any group of horses, um, there are high shedders, horses that have a large number of eggs that they produce and there are low shedders, and, and they call it the 80-20. We use the 80-20 principle in life many ways. 80% of the horses on a property don't shed a lot of eggs. So the 80-20 principle relative to egg shedding is 20% of the horses out of 100 produce 80% of the parasite eggs. So if you can identify those horses that are high shedders and maybe just do fecal egg counts on those horses and deworm those horses according to their problem, your other horses may not have to even be checked regularly. So definitely want to circle back just as a, a little bit of a reminder for people too, when we talk about, you know, your older horses, that's kind of mature horses, but then when they get older and their immune systems don't work quite as well, it might be worth um, checking those horses as well, because Absolutely. as you said, the immune system Believe it or not, the immune system does more than just bacteria and viruses. It actually also fights internal parasites. Your immune system is pretty cool. Um, but as that declines, just like older people are more susceptible to diseases, horses that are older may be more susceptible to parasites as well. Absolutely. That's a great point. But again, look at what are they eating? What is their If they're grazing, if they still have their teeth and they're grazing, yeah, they could pick up ascrid eggs, which are maybe a problem in an older horse, or they could certainly pick up larvae from the grass. So it's, I always think it's worth mentioning a little bit um, on uh, parasites because we don't give these guys enough credit. I think they're really pretty incredible. So we talked about the really cool part of uh, small strong oils life cycle is that they can hide. Um, and so that's so neat. They actually can essentially be dormant within the intestinal wall of the horse, waiting their turn to come out. So what are those triggers that say, hey, it's my turn to be an adult worm? Um, empirically, I don't, see, I don't know what the data is on this, but from a observational perspective, if the parasite load in the gut is high, you see more of those parasites in E-N-C-Y-S-T, insist in the gut lining, so they put a little wall around themselves. When you deworm, now there's no competition. 
and that deworming and the gut being vacated of the adult worms, that seems to be a trigger for those insisted small strongyles to come out and begin to start laying eggs grazing on the mucosa and laying eggs yeah so how they do it i don't know maybe some expert parasitologists know how worms know what the heck is going on yeah (laughs) so they have to be talking to each other somehow and even the fact that the worms know what time of year it is to actually shed eggs into the intestinal tract to be passed out like that's incredible to think about how a little worm on the inside of your horse knows oh it's spring good weather let's go you know it's pretty common that that horses live at boarding stables and there's a lot of horses coming and going, right? That's not really a stable population. Do, haha. Do people have to think about things a little bit differently if your horse lives at a facility where there's a lot more newcomers to the property? Absolutely. Um, ideally, you know, for biosecurity purposes, whether you're talking parasites, bacterial infections, viral infections, new horses coming on a property, should be isolated and or quarantined for a period of time and then you deworm them when they come onto the place or at least do fecal egg counts if the place you're boarding has horses coming and going without doing that then you know you might want to talk about their biosecurity issues the other thing is look at how much turnout they have and how much grazing they actually do if they turn out into dry lot probably not going to pick up any parasite eggs or any any larvae because they're not grazing so there's a lot of things that go into it if you if they do have pasture but they're managing that pasture through rotation dragging in warm weather picking up the manure and composting it before they spread it there's a lot of ways that you can use integrated pest management to reduce the parasite load on your property so those are all things worth looking at and talking to management about So if somebody's really interested in this, can you just go ahead and do a fecal egg count on your horse? Absolutely. It's not that hard. And even if if the simplest thing to do would be do a direct flotation, which is kind of what they do at the vet clinic most of the time. Um, There's recipes for fecal float. You can just use hypertonic sugar or hypertonic salt. And that sounds fancy and chemical, but you can take distilled water and stir sugar into it until it stops dissolving and then it's got enough sugar in it. Or you can do it scientifically and weigh it and put a known amount of sugar into a known amount of water. But really, if you just stir sugar or salt into distilled water until it will no longer go into solution, you're good. You take some of that and put it into a test tube and you mix a little fecal sample in it and fill it up till it's just above the edge of the test tube. Lay a, lay a, um, a cover slip on it and the eggs will float to the top You can lift that cover slip off and put it on a slide and look at under a scope that has 10 times magnification and you should be able to see those eggs. So it's real easy to do. If you wanna do an actual eggs per gram, you have to use what's called a McMaster slide. You can buy them on the internet. They're not very expensive. You still need fecal float and you do need to weigh. So you put a known amount, like one gram of feces into this um, tube fill it with fecal float, you draw up your solution and uh, put it under the slide and it's got a little grid on it that you see under the microscope and you can do a physical count. So those McMaster slides come with instructions. They're not expensive. 
Microscopes can be expensive, but 10x is not that much. 4x, even 4x is doable, but 10x is best. And so with just a little bit of equipment, you can do your own either direct flotation, which tells you what kind of worms you have, it's qualitative, or McMaster's, which is quantitative, tells you how many you have. And really, you're right, the scopes that you need to do this are, are the low end. So this isn't lighted stage compound microscope. You're identifying types of bacteria. Like, we're talking real simple here. Oh, yeah, when you've got your kid for a little science projects, maybe. Yeah. And it makes a great science project, Absolutely. too. So definitely something that people can learn. And I definitely recommend contact your county educator or state specialist. We love teaching people how to do this. And I'm sure there is some sort of workshop in your state that will help you figure out how to do these on your own. And if there's not one plan, call your agent and say, hey, can you guys do a workshop on doing fecal egg counts? And, and they can find the expertise to get it done. Even your veterinarian, who usually does it on dogs and cats, they could teach you how to do it. Yeah, super, super simple. And again, if you're worried about um, resistance, if you want to know, hey, is my dewormer actually working? That's the only way you're ever going to know. That's right. Yeah, because certainly, you know, and maybe we should talk about this a little bit, um, by the time you can see a horse with visible parasite issues, like that's a lot of worms a by time. the time the horse is looking. Ugh. Yeah. I would, on a positive side of this, I mean, we don't want our horse to have worms because it's like, ugh. But honestly, small strongyles don't do a lot of damage. They make a horse inefficient because they, they graze on the mucosa. They, they're, they're called bloodworms because they drink blood. So they're sharing the nutrients that you're feeding your horse, but they don't migrate. So the good news in all of this, the most prevalent parasite that we battle in the horse industry is small strongyles. They consume the larvae, the larvae matures, grazes on the mucosa, lays eggs, but they don't migrate and destroy tissues. So the big negative is inefficiency, feeding worms along with your horse. So thank goodness, the ascrids, the, the large strongyles, there's others that migrate and cause problems. But small strongyles are a lot less damaging. So that's the big positive in all of this. So now I'm going to put you on, on the spot here and ask you your, your opinion. Okay. Daily dewormers. Honestly, um, they are excellent, but I, they're very expensive, and there's really not a good reason to do it 365 days of the year. So um, I personally, I mean, the daily dewormers will take care of tapeworms and tapeworms are really hard to find in fecal samples. You have to do a double centrifugation to even find them. And so um, let's say you've had your horse's teeth done and they're still poor and you know they don't have strongyles and you just can't figure it out. It's very possible they have tapeworms. So you'd need to use the Prezi Quantel with them. But um, in general, one protocol that we used to recommend was to use ivermectin and then put them on 30 days of the daily dewormer strategically. So in the spring, when you know the reinfestation rate is really high, maybe uh, mid-March you use ivermectin and do a 30-day protocol of the daily dewormer and then you're good through the summer. And then in September, do the same thing. Ivermectin, take care of the bots and 30 days of the daily dewormer, and then don't deworm for the rest of the winter. That's an excellent protocol. So you had mentioned previously the idea that we always need um, refugia. So we've, we've gone from uh, there should be no parasites near your horse ever to now thinking about 
hey, some parasites are okay. So how did we get from they are our enemy to now thinking about, hey, I want to have some worms on my property. Okay. Well, I'm trying to, I'll try to think of something as an example of the concept to help you understand this. There was a time in the United States where we had something called screw worms. They were really, really bad. And, and screw worms did a lot of damage in the livestock industry. And so the way we controlled them is we took the, the male flies and we exposed them to radiation and released those flies out into the population. And those sterile males competed with the non-sterile males mating with the females and they only mate one time so we were able to completely eradicate um, screw worms by having those sterile males competing with the non-sterile so it's kind of the opposite if you have parasites that are resistant that are breeding and you have some parasites that are never exposed to the chemicals so they're non-resistant you have this competitive inhibition going on where you have some that when you get ready to deworm because you have the genetics from those non-chemically exposed worms in the population those chemicals will still work i hope that makes sense hopefully so so the whole idea is we don't need to deworm everybody all the time because let's face it you know nature adapts that's that's how we all work right so about survival right so the worms that are able to live through and somebody is right it's Mm -hmm. there's never a hundred percent only the strong survive and then they've got great genes to pass on to the next generation and so you don't want to be breeding these like hercules worms right exactly so you want a few weaklings left (laughs) to tone it down a bit yes So is there anything that we haven't covered with this? I mean, I think we really do want to get people thinking about, hey, just don't follow the same pattern all the time. Think logically and strategically about when and where to deworm your horse. Yes, deworming regularly used to be what we recommended. Now we we recommend deworm strategically. That is only when there's a problem. So always want to pay attention on your young horses always want to pay attention on your brood mares. I like to deworm my mare the day that she foals so that she's not passing threadworms to her baby through the milk. But um, in terms of the other population, um, make sure you have a problem before you try to fix it because the concept of having no parasites, that's never going to happen. So the parasites we do have, it'd be nice if they weren't already exposed to chemicals. And then the whole saying cleanliness is next to godliness, there's a lot you can do in terms of pasture management, pasture rotation, composting, you know, picking up the manure and composting it so you kill weed seeds as well as parasite eggs. All those things are positive and part of an integrated pest management system. So you don't have to just rely on chemicals to manage your parasites. And remember people, dewormers are for horses, not for you. (laughs) So so thank you so much for spending some time chatting about worms on actually a cold snowy day here in Kentucky right now. So you may not be cold and snowy on some other day when you listen to this, but right now we're huddled here in a hotel trying to stay warm. So, well, that has been our Tack Box Talk, Horse Stories with a Purpose. 